you're spending all this money on these great ingredients for your pizza, and then you're just adding rancidity to it. You know, the reality is when you put crappy oil on anything, you taste crappy oil. What's happening? What's good, dough? It's your boy, Idrif. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, in case you're wondering. And if you're new to the show, welcome. This podcast is all about leveling up your pizza game. And today, we level up our pizza game through a conversation with David from Cordo Olive Oil. We start the conversation off by finding out about how David got started in the olive oil industry and how he ended up becoming a master miller. In this conversation, we talk about freshness, rancidity, and more importantly, what to look for in olive oil even if you don't end up buying their product. This episode brings a ton of value and I'm really, really happy to share it. Before we continue with the show, I want to give a huge shout out to our show sponsor, Uni. If you want to make next level pizza at home or on the go, you need to get yourself an Uni. You can make amazing, delicious pies from all shapes and sizes. Use the link in the show notes today and get yours now. I also want to give a special shout out to our other show sponsor, Cordo Olive Oil. As David said, if you put rancid oil on top of your pizza, all you're going to taste is rancid. Now, if you want next level pizza, though, you have to use fresh olive oil. And that's where Cordo comes in. Use the link in the show notes and get your olive oil today. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And remember to always ask, what's good, dough? What's up, what's up? I have with me today a very special guest, Mr. David Garcia Aguirre from Cordo Olive Oil. He is the master miller, the vice president of operations, and we're going to be talking about olive oil today because it's such a key ingredient in pizza. David, what's good, dough? <laughs> well, first, thanks for having me, Idrif. I really appreciate the opportunity. I've been thinking about this question since you primed me for it, and I've gone a million directions, but <laughs> I think I'll answer it like this. I don't know what good dough is, so I'll just stop at what's good. What's good is constantly changing, right? That's what this show is all about. It's about leveling up over and over and over again. And so what I'd really like to do is I'd like to call out that aha moment, that, that time when we have an epiphany, when we taste something that's so good, that you suddenly become aware that of what you thought was good is no longer good enough, right? So that's like, for me, it was like, I'll just say coffee, right? I had my first glass of pour over coffee. It was actually in Santa Cruz, like, gosh, I don't want to date myself, but maybe 20 years ago at Verve Coffee. And it was my first cup of pour over coffee and it changed my life, right? It's all I drink now. Chocolate, same thing, uh, dandelion chocolate in San Francisco, I tasted their chocolate side by side, exact same recipe, but different beans from different parts of the world. Tasted totally different, changed my life. And, uh, and then olive oil, same thing. I tasted fresh olive oil for the first time, changed my life. So, you know, for me, what's good is it's always changing. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a commitment to always getting better. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's fair to first tell the tell the audience that it may sound a little roomy because David is in this huge room. So apologize for the audio, but it's actually cool because we get to kind of set the stage of where David is working. And I totally am down with that story uh, because as soon as you mentioned it, that life altering moment when you first try fresh olive oil. And and kind of the way you described it earlier, where it's like, oh, you thought something was good, but now it's completely different. I never even thought olive oil was good. But then I knew that it didn't matter because what I was trying right then and there in that, I want to say it was like January or February when we had that Cordo olive oil tasting, I just knew that this was something game-changing. So I wanted to ask you like, I guess first I want to start with how did you even get into the olive oil business? Oh, purely by accident. I don't have like a romantic story of picking olives as a kid or anything like that. I uh, I was actually a soccer player, fairly high level, kind of like a almost professional soccer player. 
Uh, and I went to Spain to try and play soccer and I got injured and uh, couldn't play anymore. So I knew I needed a career change. So uh, I went back to Davis where a friend of mine was living and I actually taught myself metalworking and I started a metal art studio there. And after about three years in, my neighbor came over and asked me if I wanted to build a mobile olive oil processing plant. And I said, yes, and the rest is history. Why did you even say yes to that? Like, what encouraged I you? I have no idea. <laughs> Honestly, in retrospect, I'm not sure if it was the right decision. <laughs> that mobile mill was awesome, but it was a lot of work. Okay. So did you just say, okay, I've gained this experience, you know, running this aspect of olive oil. Now I'm going to try my hand at it kind of in a more professional, stable type of manner? Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing to realize about olive oil, uh, it's old, but it's totally new for us, right? It's never really been done in the United States. So it's it's been done at a small scale for probably, you know, since the, since the, uh, Spanish missionaries came over, but the only the only real scale has been probably the last 15 years. So there really was a vacuum of people that knew how to make olive oil. So, you know, starting on the mobile mill was like the best way to learn because we would we would move all over the state. We would mill different types of olives, different varieties in different climates, in different conditions. So I just learned a lot experientially. And then uh, Cordo had an opening for a production manager, and they approached me in 2013. And um, and yeah, it's been great since. Wow. It must feel good to just be approached by this wonderful organization. And now you are this master miller. How, do you, how does one become a master miller in case somebody listening has the same type of like <laughs> passion or interest for olive oil? You know, it's interesting. There, there are no schools. Actually, there, there are starting to be some schools, like there's a school in Spain, but there really is no school to become a master miller. It's all applied experiential knowledge, you know, over time. And, and honestly, if you're really to ask me what it means to be a master miller, it means that uh, I know enough to admit that we're just getting started and we're not experts yet. Hmm. Okay. And so when they approached you in 2013, and you start accumulating this knowledge, you become this master miller. When did you become the VP of operations or did they hire you on as VP of operations? Um, no, I mean, I, you know, we were, we're a startup. So we started with one line. We currently have seven milling lines. So it's just been this rapid growth phase. And I brought, I was brought on as a production manager. And I don't even remember when at some point changed the title myself, probably. You know, we're a family company, so, and we only have like 20, 20 to 23 employees. So it was just kind of, uh, I don't know, along the way at some point it changed. Okay. 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 Well, I think it's so cool that you've been in this since 2013 because eight years can feel like ages. And really what I'm trying to get at is just trying to get people to understand who you are. And I don't know, like, it seems like olive oil is just this important piece of pizza that always gets forgotten. And so why do you think that is being the olive oil expert that you are? Well, you know, we have a saying that we circulate around here that olive oil is the ingredient that farm to table forgot. Uh, you know, you can go to, you can go to any high-end restaurant these days and they'll tell you everything you need to know about all of the ingredients except one. And that ingredient typically is olive oil. And, and I think the reason for that is olive oil up until this point, except for the very small boutique producers, has been seen as a commodity and it's been treated as a commodity. And, you know, we'll get a little more into some innovations that have happened in the industry that for the first time in olive oil production really have allowed us to produce ultra premium oils at scale. And that really is changing the conversation about olive oil. Okay, let's talk on the topic of farm to table, what do you mean that olive oil is now farm to table? What does that mean? Well, I, I think what farm to table did is, it, is it, it closed the loop between the producer and the consumer, right? It put a face behind the product and a story and a name. And up until this point, the olive oil isn't that. It's just, it's a tin that has some 
you know, Italian packaging on the front. No one has any idea who made it or where it really came from. And it's probably not even Italian oil. It's probably a blend of Spanish and Tunisian and Moroccan oil. What's changing now, I think, especially at least in California and in some of the new world countries, is that you get to meet the maker, right? Now we have, you know, family companies that are making their own olive oils and, uh, and making ultra premium olive oils. So not only, you know, does farm to table mean we close the loop on the maker, it also means that for many of us, we're tasting fresh olive oil for the first time. I like that a lot because it's like whenever I get, I don't know, coffee that just in whole beans, a lot of it, I try to aim for single origin. You know what you're getting. You're, and also if it's, it's farm to table, if it's local, it's so much better because it's not being transported from all over the world. Your carbon footprint isn't there. What makes Cordo olive oil ultra premium? Two things. It's really, we like to say it's an equation. Uh, it takes two things to have an ultra premium oil. It takes fresh fruit, right? So olive oil is essentially fresh pressed juice. That's what makes it special. That's what makes it unique from every other kind of oil out there. There's no processing. There's no refining. There's nothing. We just juice olives. So the quality of our oil in the beginning is only as good as the fruit it comes from. So you have to harvest at the right time and it has to be high quality fruit. Now, once you make good oil, then the second part of that equation is the oil itself has to be kept fresh. And that is not easy to do. Right? There, uh, you know, the world is after your oil. It's light, heat, air uh, are trying to oxidize your oil. So if it's not protected the entire time from light, heat, and air, then you're going to end up with, you know, a low quality product. One of the ways you all are protecting the integrity of the oil is by putting it in the flavor lockbox. Is that right? That's correct. And I noticed you also have the bottles too. It almost seems like what is the shelf life of those bottles and, and why even bother if what we're trying to aim for is having the best quality olive oil at all times or as, as long as possible? Idriff, I think that's a wonderful question. That's one that uh, is, it's a tension within the company, right? And the reason we have bottles is because people want bottles. They demand bottles. We are slowly trying to teach the world about Flavor Lockbox because at the end of the day, Flavor Lockbox, it keeps oil so much fresher right uh so yeah so it's all for us it's all about education and and honestly when people try oil or they try a flavor lock box they don't go back i think we need to do a little bit of some education here and and explain what flavor lock box is and i just want to give just a, vi a visual to someone that to something that someone may have seen at their regular grocery store and that is boxed wine it's like this box and and boxed wine is like the opposite of what you're getting, because usually box wine tends to be on like the lower end of wine. But what you have is this cardboard box and inside is a, a, a container that keeps the wine as is, and then you press a button to dispense it. Is that kind of what I'm guessing the flavor lock box is inside? I haven't broken mine down. Yeah. Yeah, so the wine industry, they put so much time, energy, and money into figuring out how to keep their wines fresh, right? Which is kind of, it's strange because typically we age wines. But when you're talking about the wines that went into Bag and Box, it was all about how do we keep these oils fresh or these wines fresh as people drink them, right? Because you're buying a three liter box of wine, then you're not going to drink it in one night. But so they had to figure out how to keep what was in it fresh. So what they did is they developed the bag and box and the bag and box, essentially it's a box. So that protects from light and it also protects from temperature quite a bit because cardboard's a great insulator. And the bag itself is two layers. Number one, it's, uh, it typically has an inner layer that keeps all of the aromas and, the, and all of the good stuff that comes in wine or oil in. And then it has an oxygen barrier that keeps oxygen out. And as you dispense it, that bag collapses on itself. So oxygen never comes in contact with the product that's in that bag. So it never comes into contact with light, heat, or air. And that's why it's such a great package for freshness. Okay. I know you know this answer, but how, like from the minute I open my olive oil bottle at home, and let's say I keep it, 
I don't know, under my cabinets, kind of dark, how long do I theoretically have? Assuming that it's it's winter time right now. <laughs> Assuming all of that, I'd say you have about, and here's the thing, if you, you have about three to four weeks, but it's not like it stays good and then all of a sudden it goes bad at three to four weeks, right? What ends up happening is that those beautiful, bright green flavors and aromas that we're, you know, we're so proud of at the time of milling, those go away really fast. And then over time, those go away, they deplete all of the natural antioxidants and polyphenols that are in the oil start depleting. And eventually at about three to four weeks, the oil goes rancid. Yikes. And what does rancid oil taste like for anyone who hasn't tried it before? Well, it, it tastes like crayons, cardboard. Have you ever had, you ever been eating peanuts and you get a really bad peanut? Yeah. Like that if it's been sitting in the is, cabinet the for too long? that peanut are rancid. Oh, I thought it was just, I don't know, my the, my cabinets had some aroma that imparted into the container. <laughs> That's rancid? Yep. Wow, I didn't even know. Okay, okay. So yeah, I have been eating rancid things from my cabinet that have just been sitting there. And that's not good. And that's not good if you're trying to serve someone uh, this pizza that you've been working on. <laughs> and so I guess maybe we do this a little bit early on, but let's make the connection here. Why does good quality olive oil matter to pizza makers? In your opinion, of course. I think it's actually pretty simple. Olive oil is a unique oil. There's nothing like it, it for several reasons. Number one, it has, it, when it's fresh and it's high quality, it has incredible aromas that really add to the eating experience. And people, if you put a fresh olive oil, we have a bunch of research internally and externally that shows that if you put olive oil on food, people prefer that food, as long as it's fresh and high quality. And the reason is, you know, the, the flavors and the aromas in olive oil, they make all the other ingredients even better. Like there's just, they just add depth and they add a uh, complexity to it. It just adds to the overall eating experience. I would have to agree. Like I wasn't really a big fan of doing the olive oil drizzle after my bake. I just thought it was excessive, kind of fatty. It didn't taste good. It was kind of it it just the benefit was not that great but when you add something like cordo olive oil at the end it's just um an extra added dynamic of freshness and it tastes really good what other uses like are you recommending that people just you, you know put it on as a finisher or do you incorporate it in dough kind of like the demonstration that I had when I did the Cordo olive oil tasting experience. What is the best use for olive oil? You can, you can use olive oil for anything that one of the things that, one of the things that, you know, we, we come up against the most is just so much bad information about olive oil, but olive oil is extremely versatile. Like you can use it in dough. You can use it for finishing. You can use it for cooking. You can use it for high heat. You can use it for cold applications. Uh, it's just, it's, Olive oil is loaded with antioxidants, and those anti and, and it's the only oil that's loaded with antioxidants. And those antioxidants protect the oil when it's hot. It, it, they add uh, they add flavor and complexity when it's cold. They're very heat resistant. I it's it's really is the most versatile oil you can use. Okay, now you I've heard you mention the word antioxidants multiple times. What is I mean aside from protecting the oil? What else is it doing for us? Yeah, I mean, so the, the group of compounds in olive oil that are the antioxidants are called polyphenols. And it's, it's kind of a, a health buzzword because what, what ends up happening is they self-sacrifice. So any free radicals in our body, they latch on to the, uh, to the polyphenols and then they become, you know, they essentially become neutral compounds and free radicals are highly act, you know, they're hyperactive compounds really that age us and do a bunch of other bad things to the fats in our bodies. So from a health point of view, polyphenols are, they're, um, there's more written about olive oil polyphenols than just about any other food there is. So can we now drizzle cordo olive oil on top of our pizza and call it health food? <laughs> you honestly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 
Wow. I going back a little bit because I I kind of had this question and I skipped over it, but like, how do you know when the olives are ready to go? That kind of intrigued me a little bit. Sure. So uh, right now we're in the middle of harvest. So to put a little timeline on, on, on it, our entire harvest happens in a short window of about 35 to 40 days. That timeline, that, that short window is when the olives have the highest level of uh, polyphenols. And it's when the olives will produce the most uh, interesting, complex aromas and flavors. We measure that in a lab, essentially, is how it works. But, you know, once you get beyond that window, then uh, all of that goes away really rapidly. So for us, it's 24-7, you know, 35 to 40 days uh, every year. Hmm. Okay. It's not like somebody could just look at somebody could just look at an olive and say, oh, it's ready. It's not like you can do like a poke test or anything like that. It has to be, you know, laboratory tested. Uh, no, I mean, like the smaller producers, you can kind of do a visual based on color, right? So all olives start green and eventually they turn black. And when they're at their peak, when they're at their best is really early on when they're green and just starting to maybe have a hint of violet on the skin. That's when you generally speaking, the olives have the highest levels of, of polyphenols. That's when most, you know, almost all ultra, really, I could say that's when all ultra premium oils in the world are made. Okay. And so on the contrary, when you're looking at a commodity type oil, when are they picking their olives and, and what are they looking for? Yeah. So we talked about this short window, which is typically, you know, second week of October through November, uh, you know, at the latest, over 70% of the world's olives are harvested uh, after January. You know, most of like a lot, like probably half of it is in, in February and March. And the problem with that is, uh, and you know, this is kind of a take home message, olives are fruit. And like any fruit, imagine an orange tree in your backyard. You know, if you walk out there and that orange is, is perfect, it's the exact right time of year and you juice that orange, you're gonna make amazing orange juice. If you let that orange hang on your tree for four months, it's gonna start rotting, it's gonna turn black, uh, everything inside's gonna start fermenting. You can still make juice out of it. It's just not going to be very good juice. And unfortunately, you know, most of the oil in the United States, especially, is from olives that are like that second orange. They're just totally overripe and therefore they're low quality and they have a lot of defects. Hmm. Okay. So I'm kind of thinking to myself earlier that you said Cordo is sort of a startup and that. From the research I've gathered, you all are not produce. You guys are producing just like a marginal, marginal fraction of what the entire world is getting, and most of the world is getting olives from Spain. I think the comparison was they have like forty some million acres of of farmland to to grab from, while you all have how much? Do you know off so the top of your head? Twenty twenty to thirty thousand acres in California. We produce maybe two, two and a half percent of the oil that's consumed in the United States. Tiny. That is and that's a tiny our entire amount. industry. Okay. So I guess one of my questions is how are you all planning to grow? Or is there is is the thought to just kind of stay? in your in your lane and and keep producing ultra premium quality at that at the current scale that you're at right now well you know the crazy thing is when you get ultra premium or you get fresh oil into people's mouths they want it right the problem is most people have never had it before so as long as we keep driving to get it into people's mouths and into good restaurants and into food and people understand the impact it can have we'll keep growing Hmm. Okay. I guess my question is like, I want ultra premium quality olive oil to be accessible to everyone. And I'll be upfront and honest. One of the reasons why I didn't pick it up essentially was that for ultra premium quality, you are paying a premium. And so I guess the reason why I asked that was I wondered if 
that if you all ended up growing in the future at scale, would that then lower the prices? Or do you think that this price point is going to stay as is moving forward? Yeah, I mean, you know, the reality is for us, you know, we have to pay our growers enough for them to keep olives in the ground. At the end of the day, our competition isn't necessarily imported oil or all these other oils. Our, our competition is almonds and cherries and apples and the other crops that, that people produce in California. So we have to pay our growers enough. And that means that, you know, premium oils, premium things in general cost more. We, we invest a lot more in the mill to produce higher quality oils. You know, we package just in time to make sure there's fresh oil in the marketplace and these things end up costing more. So I, at the end of the day, I think that, uh, you know, it's pennies per serving if you really think about it. And what we're, what we're really quabbling over is three cents on a pizza. But, um, but you know, at the, that's a powerful three cents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and, you know, when you're competing against a commodity item, it's like people and people are buying it in bulk. Over time, that could make a little bit of a difference. But sure, when you put it that way, three cents is not much at all, especially for what you're getting. Now, do you all ship internationally or can people, because I have listeners who are listening from Dubai or even Japan right now. Uh, we, do, we don't ship internationally. Um, like we said, we're, we're one and a half, you know, our whole industry is one and a half percent of sales in the United States. So we're, we're totally focused here. But, you know, there are, there are good oils in Japan. There are some great producers there and around the world. So I think, you know, buy, buy local oil. If you want fresh oil, then buy local oil. What should people be looking for if they're looking, aside from just their local oil? What, what can they look for in a bottle? What can they look for in terms of, I don't know, price, where to buy? Whatever you can give the audience. Sure. So uh, first thing you want to know is make sure the fruit was harvested at the right time of year, right? Make sure it's harvested in the fall. Make sure it's uh, current year oil. Make sure it's not three-year-old oil. Make sure that the oil has been stored in, in, in a good way, right? If it's a local producer, then make sure they have stainless steel to keep it in. Um, if you're buying at a supermarket, it's a lot harder. I mean, the reality is that you know, the big loser in all this is the consumer because the, um, we, there's just no easy way to know. That said, the best tool we have to, do, to know whether or not an olive oil is high quality is taste. It's learn what a fresh olive oil tastes like and then taste your oils. And you'll, you can tell the difference. It's, it's very obvious. Okay. So when, they when they're tasting their oil, they are supposed to taste freshness, kind of citrusy. Is that right? What else? What else should yeah. they be looking for? Yeah, I, you know, I like it, it's, it. It should take you back to your garden, right? It should be fresh things from the garden, fruits, herbs, tomato, green apple, fresh cut grass, uh, just things that are fresh and, uh, and in the garden. If they are buying at a supermarket, they obviously can't do that. Should they be talking to, looking for their master millers in their local area? How do you, how do you, how does somebody do that in, in their search? Let's help, let's help them out a little bit more. Well, how do you find, how do you find any good ingredients? Right. I mean, if, if it's if you're if you're in the Bay Area, let's say, right, we're spoiled in the Bay Area. There's a bunch of small producers and produce and farmers markets and things. And you get to know the producers. You get to taste their products and you enjoy them. As, as soon as you go to a large supermarket, right, that that dynamic changes quite a bit. You should look at olive oil the same way you look at any other fresh produce, you know, um, Make sure that it, it's coming from, from a region nearby, at least. Make sure that it's fresh. I just, you know, we, it, we need to shift the way we think about olive oil. We need to start thinking about it in terms of a fresh, perishable product like we do and all the other ones. Why, how come, what was wrong with our society to not think of that um, to begin with? Oh, man. What's wrong with our society? <laughs> I mean, how did we, how did we, uh, you know, get to that? How point? did we get here? <laughs> yeah. How did we get here? Sorry. There's nothing. I mean, 
arguably there is some stuff that's wrong with our society, but that's a whole different conversation. How did we get to (laughs) where we are today? Why aren't people thinking of it? Or what was the history behind why people don't think of it that way? You know, it's... it's interesting. Like if you go, let's say you go to, to Italy or to Spain or to Greece, people, you know, in small villages, at least they do think of it that way because the mills are right there in their backyards. Right. And they, they, they tasted it. They have it. They have a They have a palate for fresh oil uh, in the United States. That's definitely not in our culture. It hasn't been traditionally. And there are small boutique producers, especially, you know, all over California, but there are some in Arizona, Oregon and Texas, uh, even Florida. There are small, small boutique producers. It's just um, it's just never been part of our culture. I just, you know, most like I said, most people have never even tried it. So it's not even on their radar. Hmm. Do you think the culture kind of has shifted a bit because there is such an emphasis on farm to table now uh in today's society there's uh there's a focus on craft uh there's a focus on quality more or less than before what do you think has kind of catapulted cordo olive oil what are the catalysts i think it's a it it was it's kind of been this um merging of several things. I think the things you identified like farm to table, craft, people caring more about where their food comes from, that got people looking. But I think what really changed the olive oil industry and allowed us to, it's allowing us to do what we're doing is a new method of planting called super high density. We call it vineyard style. But really what it is, is olive trees are grown very close together in hedgerows, a lot like uh, grapes are. And what it's done is for the first time in olive oil production, it's allowed us to mechanize the harvest in the fall during that very short window when ultra premium oils are made. So it's the first time we've been able to scale up high quality olive oil. So it's available now where it hasn't been available like this before. So the people that are looking for farm to table, for local food, for fresh food now have an option. Did you all start doing olive oil in that way uh, when the company was 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 started, vineyard style planting and harvesting? Yeah, we did. We okay. did. Uh, uh, Dino Cordopassi, who is the founder, he, um, you know, he he his success is really in tomatoes, and his success came through being a pioneer in new technologies. So he was one of the first to adopt machine harvesting for tomatoes optical sorting and some other technologies. When he saw this opportunity for olives, you know, we, we like to say he we went all in and he, he just knew this was going to revolutionize the industry. So he, uh, he went all in and, and here we are. Okay. And so you all are using this mechanical picking. I've seen the video where it's like, it kind of, it looks like a machine is going over the the vineyard lane i don't know what the terminology is and then kind of a machine is grabbing from both sides right is that what it is is that what it is is that how you still do it today because this video is a little dated okay is this technology more expensive than the trunk shakers that that people are using for the commodity product where they're using it at a past their past their prime picking the olives past their prime yeah, it, it definitely is a lot more expensive, but really the reason trunk shakers are used in most of the, you know, we'll call it the old world or the traditional plantings is because the trees are spaced really far apart. They're just, they're traditional, right? It, the, the plantings are, the, the orchard setup is very traditional. The trees are really far apart, so the, the, you can't drive a harvester over them. So they have to use trunk shakers. And in order to use those trunk shakers, they have to wait for the fruit to be just about to drop off the tree, by which point it's already fermenting and overripe. But the reality is that's all changing. That's all changing. In Spain and the old world, a lot of those traditional groves are switching over because the writing's on the wall. It's a quality game. And the only way to do that is with the new method. So people are going to have more access to high quality olive oil because the technology is changing then. Yep. Where does that put you all? Is there a difference between California olives and the ones that you get in Spain? Yeah. I mean, we, you know, the actual olives that we grow are Spanish. 
uh, and Greek, the varieties we do. What's going to differentiate California is several things. Number one, we have the tightest, the strictest legal standard in the world for extra virgin. So all of the all California producers are by law, we're required to report to the state of California and they grade all of our oils. The other thing I think that's really going to change the dynamic is we don't have to ship our oil. Right. We're not we don't have to send it on containers to come over here. We can we can keep a two to three month turnaround time and keep fresh oil in the marketplace. Mm, okay. Now, I guess that helps people getting farm to table uh, who believe in support farm to table. But those who, you know, maybe don't care about it, they can start getting quality olive oil probably in the future even though they're getting their shipped. I mean, I guess, where's the difference? Like, why, I mean, other than farm to table, what what would get people to buy Cordo olive oil instead if they didn't care about the farm to table local type of um, action or, I don't know, yeah, action? Yeah, so, I mean, it, it quality. Quality is, it's a freshness. Quality equals freshness in olive oil. And the, you know, our... Our entire mission is to deliver the freshest oil in the marketplace. So from, from the way we farm all the way through the way we mill, the way we store and package the oil, our entire like philosophy and infrastructure is all geared to deliver fresh oil, the freshest oil. Right, because if you're getting your olive oil shipped from Spain, it's going to take some time. It's going to it may get stuck in the port of LA and you may not, it may be sitting there for quite some time before <laughs> you even get to it. Right. Yep. Okay. Talk to me about the Agramado method, because that is something I'm interested in. Yeah. Agramado is cool. It's a, it's basically, it's a method of making olive oil where you take uh, some other ingredient that's fresh at the time. So for example, we made them. We made one this year with some chilies that we uh, we brought seeds in from the Calabrian region of Italy. We had a producer, an organic producer, pepper specialist, actually in Sonoma, grow them for us. And then what you do is you take those chilies and you take the olives and you run them through our our milling equipment at the same time. And what ends up happening is you extract the oils and the flavors from both together. So it makes this really interesting, complex oil that's both like I've got all the beautiful green, bright aromas of olive oil and the heat and the flavor from the chilies as well. Okay. That's interesting. It's very different than, say, like an extract or throwing chilies into olive oil, right? You get right. It's, it's much more interesting and complex. Okay. So you're using fresh chilies. You're having this different style of you know, extracting and so that it's very, it's in, it's infused in a certain way. I guess my natural curious question was to ask, like, do you use a separate mill for that or that is specifically used for agramado processing or do you have to clean the mill afterwards? <laughs> that's, a, that's a great question. So this, this one was an R&D project. So remember I was talking about the mobile mill that I built way back when in 2009 no. or whatever it was? Yeah, we actually brought it back in. because it, <laughs> it does like it does like a thousand pounds an hour, right? Which in my world is, is nothing. So we brought that in and we ran it. But if you were going to do it on our regular lines, typically you do your agramados last because mm. they are very hard to clean. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. So you, you all had an advantage doing the, this method because you had an extra mill just lying around. <laughs> oh, that's it. That's so cool. I'm, I'm glad you brought it back there. Where now I'm, now I'm curious to know, where have you been storing that thing this entire time? It doesn't sound like a small piece of equipment. No, it, it, it actually in, in 2011, it sold to a company down in Temecula, California, and we're still very good friends. So I asked him if they would mind coming up and helping us out and running it up here. So they did. <laughs> okay, now we got to talk about this more. You built this. You built this thing here. How much did it cost to make? And how much did you? Can you tell me how much you sold it for? Well, it wasn't. I, I wasn't the money. I was the guy who built it. So. Uh. 
I honestly don't even know what it cost or sold for. Yeah, I don't know. If somebody wants to build something like this, where what resources <laughs> can they uh, look up and where where would you point them to? What direction? Oh, man. Probably want to talk to someone that has one. So Google mobile olive oil mill. There are only about three in North America. And the, actually, just give me a call. I'll, I'll point you in the right direction. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'll That's... talk you out of it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It sounds like a cool DIY project. People like to build um, mobile wood-fired <laughs> ovens at their house, or you could just buy an uni. Uh, but, you know, some people, they just want to build a mobile <laughs> mill. That's That's cool. I think, you know, before we start wrapping up, I just want to remind something that... Peyton Smith from Mission Pizza Napolitana said, and that is don't go into pizza uh, trying to be, trying to compete with commodities. At the end of the day, pizza is seen as a commodity. And, you know, he says that Panera has some sort of pizza. Applebee's has some sort of pizza. And, if you go into this as a commodity business, you will always get defeated by someone who has more money than you because commodity items are a race to the bottom. And if you don't want to get into the commodity game, you have to be using quality. And Cordo Olive Oil is is one of those quality brands. Am I right? Yeah, you know, I, 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 that is, that's beautiful. It's a, it is a race to the bottom. I always like to flip the equation and, you know, we talk about pennies for serving and stuff, but really, if you think about it, what you're doing for three cents, every pizza is you're putting rancidity onto your pizza, right? Or into your pizza. So you're, you're, you're spending all this money on these great ingredients for your pizza, and then you're just adding rancidity to it. Mm. And, and, and the reality is rancidity is a very strong flavor. Some Americans like the taste of rancidity, which is, you know, interesting in and of itself, Lay's potato chips and some other things. But, um, you know, the reality is when you put crappy oil on anything, you taste crappy oil. Yeah. You don't want to be describing your pizza to somebody. This is made with the finest dough, aged 72 hours, and this rancid oil <laughs> drizzled on top. Right. 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 I mean, so maybe you have more information or maybe you don't and it's okay if you don't, but like the people using the pizza makers using your olive oil, what have they told you about their use? Are they, I know Laura Meyer was incorporating it in her dough. Is that, do you happen to know like best dough practices or am I asking the wrong person? Any idea? Yeah, so in those virtual pizza labs we did, there was some of that talk. Uh, you are, you are. Let me start by saying you're asking the wrong person. But the feedback I always get is that you know, from a technical point of view, oil and dough, you know, adds elasticity, and you'll know more about that than me. But the one thing that always comes back, honestly, in talking to all of these uh, pizza people, is flavor, flavor, flavor. Right. It, 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 you put oil in dough, you put it on pizza. If it's fresh and it's high quality, it, it just freaking tastes good. Right. It adds it adds more to your pizza. That's it. OK. All right. What's um, maybe I do ask this question if you have time. But what is what is the consumer's biggest pushback when it comes to Cordo olive oil? Or you know, is there obviously one? price? I think I mean, no, I'd say once people try it, they they get it. Whether or not they're willing to pay, like you said, is a different story. Uh, people are used to commodity pricing. Uh, some of the funny pushback I get is like, oh, I only use Italian, right? Even though, even though it's rancid, I'm only going to use Italian kind of thing, right? And, and, uh, and then just, just misinformation in general. There's so much bad information out there about olive oil, about edible oils in general, but especially olive oil. What are one of those misinformations? can't cook with it. Uh, olive oil, you know, is, I don't know, just the, the best oils come from this place or that place. Or, uh, you know, there's just, there's just, it depends. There's so much out there. It's like, I've seen it all at this point. Talk to me about extra virgin olive oil and what that actually means. 
Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> I like to say the extrovergence like getting a D in school, right? It basically, the, the definition for around extroversion means there's nothing wrong with the oil doesn't necessarily have to have anything right, right? It's just we've we've drawn a line in the sand that says there's nothing wrong with it. And, you know, unfortunately, that's it's a standard that's built around a lot of the really crappy oil that's been that's been imported over the years. You know, I said in California we have the highest strictest standard in the world, maybe it's a C, right? But what we want to do at Cordo is we want to talk about the A and the B. We want to make food better. And and in order to make food better, you you really have to produce that A level oil. Hmm. Couldn't why couldn't you all just create your own category instead of relying on extra virgin olive oil? Yeah, I think it's a great question and one that we talk about. Like the part part of it right now is where there is we're required to put extra virgin on our label because of the California standard. Honestly, if I could, I would take extra virgin completely off or come up with something like beyond extra virgin or you know the next extra virgin or something like that to help differentiate because. It really what's happened is quote unquote extra virgin has become it's it's a commodity category. Hmm. Okay. Right. So it's 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 really just a giant commodity. And what's happening now in this new world movement is we're breaking away from that commodity, from that category. And it's it's an ultra premium. It's just we don't have a way to distinguish it yet. But what does it actually mean other than there's nothing wrong with it? What is extra virgin olive oil? say about the oil? So it goes through uh, two parts. On one hand, it goes through sensory analysis. So there are uh, accredited sensory panels that are certifying that there are no defects. So they taste the oil and they look for any defects. And if there are no defects, then they they score it no defects. And then the second part of that is a chemical analysis. So it goes, the chemistry basically looks for oxidation or for, you know, fermentation in the fruit or oxidation in the oil. Theoretically, they're supposed to line up, right? So the chemistry should be tied with the sensory. The problem is the chemistry hardly ever catches anything at the standards, at the level where the standards are right now. Typically, where oils fail is in the sensory which means they're rancid, but they still haven't passed. They still have, you know, they still haven't failed the chemistry. So the standard is it's way too loose, especially if you want to talk about quality. Mm, okay. So it's, it doesn't even matter if your oil says extra virgin or not. Yeah, honestly, it doesn't. That sucks. <laughs> That's... Yeah. In fact, it, it, 2000. 10, I think it was, UC Davis did a study and they found that 69% of oils that said extra virgin on the label off the supermarket shelf failed extra virgin. But they were still able to be on the shelf. Yep. Huh. Interesting. I'm surprised there's no fines for that. What's, 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 uh, who's allowing that to even happen? All of us, basically, you know, we continue buying it. There's no federal regulation. Okay. Again, terrible. I have um, two questions that I like to end the show with, and feel free to take your time to answer them. What is one mistake that people can avoid in the pizza business? I think the simple mistake you can avoid is paying for high-quality pizza ingredients and then replacing their flavor with cheap rancid oil. I just it blows my mind. I, you know, I'll tell you a, st- a quick story. I was in Portland at, at a, I won't say the name, but I was at a really cool boutique ice cream shop. And I saw that they had an olive oil ice cream. And I got very excited because this was about 10 years ago and olive oil ice creams were like, oh my gosh, this, we're pushing boundaries, right? So I ordered the olive oil ice cream. And guess what it tastes like? Rancid? It tasted like vanilla with rancid olive oil. Oh gosh! It, it's not. It's not something you can hide, and oh, it's, it's you know, it's not somewhere to be cheap. It really isn't. It it, the upside is so big when you use fresh oils, and I just like we. It's a message that I just really want to drive home. It's like it it for those three cents, you're getting a big bang for your buck. What's interesting is because like since it's since olive oil is used as a finisher a lot of the times it's like the first thing that you taste and when when that hits you in the in the face you you could either be surprised pleasantly or 
disappointed and you don't want to start, you know, the bite with that rancid taste for sure. On the note of ice cream though, I, I read an, uh, I read a recipe somewhere that included cordial olive oil and ice cream. Do you, have you tried anything like that? Do you have any recipes? Do you just drizzle it on top of vanilla ice cream? What's your, what's your olive oil and ice cream kind of uh, go-to? Oh man, I put olive oil on everything, but uh, <laughs> olive oil on, <laughs> I, so vanilla ice cream, fresh olive oil, Cordo's great because it's really fruity. Um, you know, our oils, once you once you open the door of the world of fresh oil, then you can start talking about varieties and terroir and all this fun stuff. We're not even close to ready to have that conversation yet. But once you open that door, then you can start talking about these crazy wide selection of flavors and aromas, right? So for me, Cordo is a very versatile one. So I just put Cordo on ice cream, a little bit of sea salt, and it's awesome. The fruitiness comes out. It's uh, It's great. Okay. It is Friday while we're recording this. I've already had my pizza and now I know what I'm having for dessert. What the hell? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And uh, final question. What do you want to leave the audience with today? One thing. We have one tool, right, to judge olive oil and that's taste. Taste your oil. Pour it into a cup, smell it. If it doesn't remind you of things that come from the garden, fresh fruits, herbs, spices, if it doesn't remind you of those things, it's not fresh. And taste it. And, and honestly, when you taste an oil and it's fresh, it should be clean in your mouth, right? It's a, it's a juice. It shouldn't be oily or greasy. It should leave your mouth almost uh, almost dry even. So just taste your oil, smell it. And if it's not pleasant and you don't enjoy it, it's probably not a fresh oil. Excellent. David, thank you for this informational and fun conversation about olive oil. I've learned so much. And so thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you. I had a blast. David, thank you so, so much for taking the time and making the time to educate me and the listeners, especially during harvest. I appreciate you for helping us make better food decisions. To you, the listener, I hope you learned a lot today. You can actually find out what fresh olive oil tastes like by signing up for Cordo's Olive Oil Tasting. If you're a professional pizza maker, you can sign up for free. But home bakers, don't worry, there's an option for you too. Use the links in the show notes and you can sign up and find out what fresh olive oil really tastes like. Also, I just want to let you all know that I created a Facebook group for all of you pizza podcast lovers. In that group, we talk about all of the pizza podcasts that are out there so that we can continue the conversation. Use the link in the show notes to join. I appreciate you for your time. Thank you for being here. Till next time. Peace.